This week, we are joined by Brandon Lewis of the Tennessee Conservative, one of the few news organizations willing to uncover the truth in Tennessee. Brandon, Gary, and I discuss the impact of illegal immigration, media censorship, and corporate welfare even for one of my favorite restaurant chains. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Oh, come on. Tom Petty, baby. <laughs> Don't See, back down. I, I did that That's for one you of my because favorites. you Thank needed you. a big win. I needed a win. This week <laughs> needed to be a win. Yeah, absolutely one of, one of my favorites. And what I love about this song is Tom Petty actually waxes biblical here, you know, when he talks about standing up the gates of hell. Yep. And a lot of people get that wrong. In fact, it's why I named, you know, I had that organization back in 2014, 2015 called the Advancing Church, No Retreat. And the whole point of that organization was to clarify among Christians, a lot of Christians I think have been under the impression that, oh my gosh, God's got to protect us and put this shield of protection around us and the world's coming at us. But the Bible's very clear that it's the church that's on the advance, and that's gates, right. remember, are a defensive mechanism. Taking the ground. Yeah, so... I have, uh, a, little, I have, a, little, I have a little Tom Petty story, too. Mm-hmm. So we, we got to see Tom Petty back in Dallas-Fort Worth. We lived in Dallas-Fort Worth area for about 10 years, and there was a um, great little amphitheater we had on the east side of the Dallas Metroplex, and got to see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers just, you know, a few years before he passed away. But but a little story. So my wife, I've been with my wife since I was 14 years old. And uh, we were, were originally from South Louisiana. And my wife, I'm telling you, oh, she... Oh, I think I know. I remember this story. But she, go she, she's the quintessential Southern belle. Sweet, innocent, knows nothing of the um, depravity of life. <laughs> been very, very sheltered and protected. And so anyway, we go to a Tom Petty concert. And uh, I and I can't remember the song. You know, Last Dance with Mary. Not, not, that's not the song. Yeah, yeah, but the song Last is Last uh, Dance with Mary Jane. Yeah, dun, 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 no, but it's a different. It's a different dun, dun, dun. song. It's the one let's where they get to the, to the point, point and let's, let's roll. roll another. another okay, so at at that at that point in that song. <laughs> There was a plume yes. of smoke. You don't that, know that how arose. it feels. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And and of course, as the smoke arose, and you and the smell began to you know mm-hmm. penetrate throughout the uh, amphitheater. My wife's like, "What is that smell?" And I'm, I'm like, "Well, Andrea, it's marijuana." She says, "She says, isn't that illegal?" I, I looked over and I'm like. Yes, yep. <laughs> but this not is... in Tennessee. They sell it on every corner gas station. <laughs> Man, that voice sounds awfully familiar. Doesn't that sound like a like a, a classic Tennessee voice? It well it definitely we has a Tennessee accent. Tennessee accent. Yeah. Um, inter- introduce Brandon Gary, but then before we start with our uh, content and interviewing and discussion with Brandon, I have a little, I have a little start piece. Do you remember? Let me just start with it, and then we'll introduce Brandon. Yeah, dude, go for it. Did you ever watch David Letterman when he was oh, on? Oh, yeah, all the time. Remember in the back in the days, he used to have the top 10 list? Yes, go that them. was my favorite part. So the brilliant folks over at Babylon B <laughs> have given us a top nine to start with today. So these, by the way, are to brighten your spirits with a list of potential jobs that you can consider under the coming communist regime. All right, number one. Mass 
Yeah, Babylon B. <laughs> Mass grave digger. Look at how much work these guys had back under Joseph Stalin. Oh, man. Job security, baby. That's number one. Number Ouch. two, bear wrestler. There's a fair chance you'll end up exiled to some harsh wilderness. Sharpening those bear wrestling skills will not only keep you alive, but also make you a valuable entertainment attraction. Ugh. Wait, where are my bees? <laughs> what was, wait, what happened to the bee at the end there? <laughs> it sounds the like he's getting brown. swatted. <laughs> the third one, I love this. Snitch. With so many freedom-loving dissenters running around, someone has to rat on them. <laughs> Do your part. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> great uh, mine worker this could have taken up six of the eight slots in the list lots of mine workers folks okay. <laughs> we could do that for everyone yes each one instead of a school bell right? okay okay got it uh, replacement wine worker for the guy who just died you're up next comrade oh gosh all right number six starvation coordinator with millions of people starving, someone has to keep things organized so everyone can die off. Wait. This is <laughs> you were, you were too bee, early on that. That bee producer. was in the middle. So everyone can die off in a slow, painful, but organized way. Wow. Uh, number seven, seamstress who only makes gray clothes. You can be the one making the official uniform of the ruling party. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah, okay. Number eight, window breaker, followed closely by another hot job, window fixer. Wow. This is a depressing list. And number nine, professional horrifying example of what happens to traders. This one is physically demanding, but there are millions of possibilities available. See? And this is a, a, this is a quote straight from Babylon B. The job market under communism won't be that bad. Before you know it, you'll be toiling away for the benefit of the state. Oh, well, that 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 get that should get us excited. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wants to benefit the state. Wow. So there you go. But I gave you some good laughs. You know right? what, though? I find it's interesting you read that list. Um, we're, we're eventually going to get to our guest. But uh, last night, I don't know if any if you saw it yet, Tucker Carlson has a new interview. And I, I forget his name, Malay, something like that. He's uh, running for president of Argentina. Mm. Really interesting guy. He's a um, soccer player, played for some Rolling Stone. He was a, played for, I think, in a band featured by the Rolling Stones. And cover he's a, band. Cover band. And he's an economist. <laughs> he's mm. running. Uh, but this interview is brilliant. I mean, he really lays out how far down the road Argentina has gone oh, into yeah. socialism. So and and even in terms of the way we think of social justice here in America, they've gone so far with this stuff in Argentina that if you identify as transgender, you pay less taxes. I mean that that's just how far gone they are down the road. And of course, so now their economy's in shambles. I mean, it's right. hyperinflation. It's it's going the way of Venezuela, and so the people are in a violent uproar to overthrow this regime that has mm -hmm. crashed. Their economy and uh, this this guy is the the would you call him the populist candidate I guess but he but he yeah. and they call it in in Argentina liberalism actually was another interesting little education point when they say liberal yeah. it actually means what we think of as conservative right classical classical yes. liberalism mm -hmm. yeah so uh, yeah interesting that you were because because some of the things you said in that list actually 
brought to mind some of the conversation that Tucker was having yeah. with what these people are experiencing right now in Argentina, and they're trying to dig themselves out of it. Well, to not belabor the point any longer, we have with us today a very, very close friend of mine, someone I respect dearly, a fellow uh, fighter here in Tennessee on preserving conservative values at every turn, exposing the rhinos, rhino hunting uh, extraordinaire. <laughs> Uh, Brandon Lewis of the Tennessee Conservative News, joining us from uh, Signal Mountain today. Welcome hurumph, to the show. Hurumph. I'm glad to be here. Seems like we got a good signal too. Yeah, we can see him and hear. They him have fine. Inter- they have internet up there on Signal Mountain. Oh, you know? we have we have thanks to uh, I think Obama promised like a billion shovel ready jobs. I think ten somehow eked out the other end, and we were one of the ten. We got all that government money here and. Uh, Tennessee, so that the government could compete with private business and and run broadband. So we we got mm. it. We got government subsidized, fast as lightning broadband <laughs> here in Hamilton County. That's nice. Well, good for you, uh, Brandon. Tell us about just just real quick before we get into these all the the issues and things we're going to talk about. Just you know, I've heard this story a lot. Um, and you and I have spoken together at several events. You've been doing events across the state. And so I've heard you tell the story, but just really quickly for the audience, the, the you know, boilerplate story of why, why the hell you decided to jump into the deep and start this crazy thing called the Tennessee Conservative News. Well, that's a good question. And often I wonder if I made the right decision. <laughs> uh, so. And Gary's heard this so many times uh, that he, he's probably tired of hearing it because we are we're we attend many rubber chicken dinners together uh, in conservative circles. That's what we used to call them when we were on the campaign trail. And I love seeing our subscribers and our su- supporters out there. Um, you know, my background originally was I worked for United States Senate, uh, House, state and local races, wrote a book called How to Raise Money for Political Office. And I was probably one of those typical what I would call a typical politically interested conservative uh, GOP loving young man, right? I'm going to show up to the to the local meetings. I'm going to be involved in the young Republicans and the college Republicans. And if I can help somebody with an R beside their name get elected, I'm more than happy to do so. And so I started working professionally on campaigns. And then I got tired of working with politicians. <laughs> I just got tired of it. Uh, it is so disingenuous. And then you uh, work really hard to send people to office and what they promise on the campaign trail, they fail to deliver. I've had a few exceptions, but generally speaking, people, people compromise their values for money uh, and people's approval rather quickly. So I took a six year break, built up a large construction company, uh, sold it. And then I also uh, started a thing called the Academy for professional painting contractors. And I've worked with 450 painting contractors in six different countries. And so I was, Completely politically isolated. I went from uh, knowing everything that was going on in politics in Tennessee to turning off everything, every last thing. Like, I don't want to know anything that's going on if I can't be involved and make a difference because it just gives me anxiety. Well, (laughs) then it turns out to be like 2020, and I'm sitting in my office, and they have shut down my church. This is the Republican leadership. This is Bill Lee. This is Cameron Sexton. This is Randy McNally and everybody else who stood idly by while all this stuff happened. Now, they promise us they won't do it again. They're pro- making promises now. That's right. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, and they can't understand why people wouldn't believe their word. And it's probably because they break it so routinely that there's no credibility left. But I digress. And so I was upset. Uh, and this was probably April of 2020. 
And there were some ladies that were going to have a protest on the Market Street Bridge, and I got on the phone with them. And my wife even thought I was out over my skis, but I recognized bullying because uh, I grew up with it, and I recognized tyranny. And I knew what it was going to be, and I knew it wasn't going to last very long. I had my Nostradamus hat on. Uh, I'd read a few history books. I'd read The Great Influenza. I mean, if you've read any history at all, you really didn't have to look real hard at that situation. So they hadn't done anything they were supposed to. So from Thursday till Sunday, I quit my job, more or less, for I am self-employed. So I quit working. I worked on this thing. And we got about 300 and some odd people out on a bridge, either driving or uh, honking. And our message was very simple. We want our schools open. We want our churches open. We want to be uh, deemed essential if it feeds our family. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the left-wing media, which is all of the media in Tennessee, the corporately funded media, uh, that does not share our conservative values, just completely uh, lambasted us, called us hayseeds, called us hicks, told us that we were trying to kill grandma. And then there were protests the next week in Chattanooga about Black Lives Matter. Now, they were not peaceful. They broke things. They spray-painted things. They cursed the cops. They toppled things at the courthouse. Uh, they broke windows out of friends of mine that I know that own small businesses in Chattanooga. And the press loved them, loved them. It's just glowing coverage night after night. And they got a mural on Main Street. And that's when I discovered <laughs> that if we were ever going to get the truth out about got what was going mural. on. Got a mural. Pandemic, yes. Wait, stop. <laughs> just for a second. What's on that mural? Like, is it something they painted or the city? Black? No, it's it's on, like, it, it's on, it's not on Main Street. It's on MLK Boulevard, if I'm not mistaken. And it, and it, it was just spelled out on the road. It said Black Lives Matter. Okay, so and, it's graffiti. I thought you said a mural. No, thought, no, no. This was no, commissioned a, and done by the official. city. It was commissioned. <laughs> yes, this was not, they got a mural on Main Street because they put it up themselves or on MLK Boulevard. Okay, they, that's what they, I was trying to figure city, out. The wow. city painted this puppy and left it up for a while. I think they've since... You know, since since it's been discovered that the organization is both communist Marxist and that they stole everybody's money and it, and probably are going to get in some legal trouble, they did not uh, renew that. They did not refresh it once it had been ran over to the point you couldn't read it. But nonetheless, and so I started reporting on conservative politics up in uh, Nashville, and it it is far worse than I ever thought that it would be. And uh, we really don't have any conservatives in leadership. What we have are Southern Democrats. And what we have discovered through our reporting is that all of the money comes from left-leaning corporations in leadership. Uh, it's about 90-some-odd percent of it and from outside of the district. And uh, very, very little money at all in campaigns goes uh, to the leadership from their district and individuals that actually elect them. And there's this constant struggle in our state between the Southern Democrat leadership and the Republican Party uh, and the corporations that control them. And so that's why you rarely see any campaign promises match up with legislation, especially on anything that might take a dollar out of a corporation's pocket. So that's my story. And, you know, October will be three years uh, and it has been an interesting gig. And I have no previous experience as a journalist. I don't claim to be one. I don't take any money for doing it. I do this as a uh, passion project. And we've done a lot of good, but it is a, a continual and constant battle. What would you say then is your – over this three years, what is your proudest moment as far as uh, – whether it's making people aware of something in particular or some action that you were able to uh, move the needle, right, on behalf of liberty and, and protecting the rights of Tennesseans? So we've had a few and I would I would probably put lump them together into to two, uh, and they both had to do with legislation and maybe even kind of three things really that I've seen happen. The first is we will report on bills 
being filed in the legislature, like the one where William Lambert wanted illegal aliens to be police officers. Uh, and we will we will just run a story saying, hey, here's William Lambert. He wants to uh, make illegal aliens police officers. Oh, here's Dale Carr. He wants to weaken the standards for employment for illegal aliens in in Tennessee. Or so-and-so wants to censor private organizations, Feral Hale and – or what is it, Sam Whitson, I think. I can't remember now. Yeah, Sam Whitson. They want to si- – yeah. yeah, Sam Whitson and whoever else. They want to silence uh, corporations – uh, and companies and and just any organization from mentioning the name or the face <laughs> of an elected official. So we report on those things, and our subscribers call mad as hell, and as well they should be, and they withdraw the bills before they even go to committee. So that's been some real positives uh, that I've seen. The second thing that I've seen that has been, um, I think, beneficial the way we do our reporting, and in particular, the way that we write our uh, Rhino report, R-I-N-O report, that stands for Rhino, Republican in name only. The H is silent because the honesty is missing. And so <laughs> and that's a that good one. way to put it. That's yeah. good. So nonetheless, uh, we just we go after the five worst and we reward the five best. And I have watched some folks like Todd Gardenhire. I've watched some people um, like, oh, what's the guy over the education committee? I can't believe Mark White. Mark White. Uh, and I've watched some people completely change their votes on specific issues because their constituents back in their district have rode their you-know-what about it. And then finally, I think the the proudest moment was probably uh, working with Gary early on. He got a head start on me, which a head start back then was like two months. And I <laughs> – it was happening so fast and uh because it took me a while to figure out what and how i was going to do it and have a full-time job so i didn't have as much time to get into put into it but was those uh medical freedom special sessions that gary worked so hard on we worked so hard on all the grassroots uh worked so hard on to try to claw back some of our freedoms from republican i mean i hate to say it it's republican tyranny uh, we got to claw back that freedom, and uh, it was just such a relief to think that we're moving towards normalcy. We still have a lot of work to do. Uh, they put us all in cages. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. if, 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 they're, if they could get away if with they it, just knew, you, If they just knew it. we'd do it, yeah. If they just knew we'd do it, they'd do anything to us. Uh, that is human nature, I do believe. Uh, at least it says that in, in Ecclesiastes. Uh, and in all parts of the Bible, just about. Uh, but anyway, those are probably my three, the three proudest moments. And, um, and, and just making a difference legislatively through our reporting has been has been fantastic. What's I know it's a huge support around the state. And, and even in the advocacy work that we do, it is and the information that we put out, Tennessee stands. It's it's so supportive to have a conservative news organization that's willing to say the same thing and sometimes do a deep dive or continue the story. And so it's 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 really great to have a partner like that here in the state. And, you know, you mentioned the I think the Rhino report and then uh, you mentioned earlier the campaign donations. You guys have done the, the follow the money report and the Rhino re- report. And I, I agree. I've got to say you mentioned the name Todd Gardenhire and, and he's he's a great example. And I, I bring him up because he really shocked me and and almost sort of changed my perspective on him a little bit in this last special session on gun control. And and a lot of people don't know this, but but you will hear most conservatives in the legislature regurgitate the fact that if you want to know why the special session went nowhere, it was primarily because of Todd Gardenhire. Because the the bills that 
the House wanted the Senate to continue with and to pass would have had to go through his Judiciary Committee, of which he is the chair, and the guy flat refused to open his committee under any circumstances. I'm not doing it. And I, you know, I just think that's worth saying because he's someone that I think you and I both have been hard on at times oh, yeah. in the past. But this guy just championed the hell out of the mm. special session in terms of protecting our Second Amendment here in the state of I Tennessee. I agree 100 percent. You know, uh, Todd and I have not agreed on school choice. He 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 moved on that. You know, I, I believe in just no strings attached uh, tax rebates for people that don't send their kids to public schools would be the best thing to do, in my opinion. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, and I've watched him uh, take, uh, we didn't agree on illegal immigration when we broke the story that uh, shut down that illegal immigration center in Chattanooga where kids were being molested and lost that were that was put here by Bill Lee covertly. That was before I think a lot of daylight got pushed on him. A, a quote-unquote uh, refugee center geez, that really yeah. became an illegal immigrant center. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. They, they always, they changed the names, but the players remain the same. Uh, but the good thing about Todd is that he is, he does not mind ruffling feathers of his own constituents or other people in politics. Like he, it's just his personality. And while the personality is, is a little rough and off putting, uh, that's what you need. <laughs> that's what you need. When some, that's what you need when somebody is, when all the social pressure and, and people are so susceptible to social pressure, when all that social pressure is coming on you, if you don't have some kind of, internal mechanism that allows you to stiffen your spine and say no then you know you'll just do whatever and todd mm. todd's like uh-uh i ain't doing this now you know he may have done he may not even care about the second amendment stuff <laughs> he may have just done it to tell everybody else to go to hell <laughs> i don't know well what <clears throat> as the grinch would say or as it was said about the grinch whatever the reason his heart or his shoes he, he stood there at christmas hating the who so whatever garden hire's reason was right we got a good result from it, didn't we? He did, and I'm I'm proud of him uh, for doing that. And I'm, I'm I will give people both praise and uh, and condemnation. So we try we try to apply it equally. I just wish there were there were more opportunities to to praise folks, mm -hmm. uh, and and hopefully maybe maybe there will be in the next session. You you and I both started doing this around the same time, like you mentioned. Three years later, did you think you'd still be doing this? Did you think there would still be as much to talk about? Well, I built something that was not issue specific. And now I look around and I'm like, I, there are many days I don't want to do it. I don't have the time to do it. It is a financial, it's just a financial distraction for me. But there are so many people depending on me now to do this. Like we are the only conservative news outlet in the state of Tennessee. And if I don't report on this stuff, I, I just worry that it wouldn't, it would not get reported on. And I know that uh, I listen to your show and I know you talk a lot about Christian issues. And when I first started the Tennessee conservative, uh, I went to meet with my pastor uh, who was one of the first pastors to open up a church again in Tennessee. My old church would not uh, open up. We've been there for 10 years. We'd help start it. And I was like, I'm tired. I want to go worship in person. And uh, he preached on Nehemiah and how people walked past the, the broken walls for 80 years and did nothing. And it took somebody from outside who was not really responsible for it, moved by God to do something different. And he said, well, maybe somebody's going to have a Nehemiah moment in here today. And I left that service and I said, honey, I think we got to do this. 
And I said, they'll call us every name in the book and they have, and that's fine. Um, and so are you, are you okay with that? You know, it, it may cause us problems and it may cause our kids problems and everything else. Are you okay with that? And she said, sure, honey. And so I met with my pastor <laughs> and I think a lot of Christians, if you've tuned out, tuned back in, you can identify with this. I asked him, this all feels very combative. This all is going to be very negative, but it's true. It is that okay? And is this something I can even do as a Christian? Because we get so so often the church is like just you know calm and gentle, non judgmental Jesus. Now where they get this from, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're not reading all of the scriptures. They're not reading are they? the scripture, <laughs> uh, and and you get to where it's like it's just go along and get along, and you can't say anything negative, and it's got to be all you got to be salt and light, and not. But but there's a time when you have to stand up. Um, and, and most of the prophets and most of your your main Bible characters uh, were standing up to culture and standing up to the establishment continually and constantly. And and uh, fast forward to three years now, I just I feel like this is something that God has given me to do because I can do it without losing a bunch of sleep when people think ill of me. Um, and so I'm going to continue to do it as as long as our supporters continue to send in their little little donations enough to pay the bills. I'll keep running this puppy. You know, when you talk about uh, the confrontation, which is necessary when you are proclaiming truth, you're always going to get that response. I'm always encouraged by Charles McKay, who was a Scottish poet, because he said this simple phrase. He said, he who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have foes. If he has none, small is the work that he has done. That is true. If you're not, we just posted a meme here recently that basically said, if you're not pissing people off, you're probably not doing anything. <laughs> That's the same thing. <laughs> Less poetic, but yeah, it gets the point across. Yeah, it's a little, you know, we like to, we're journalists. We like to truncate things here. Um, Gosh, I, I picked like one of the shortest little pieces of poetry I had, and you still had something shorty and shorty, sure. shorter and pay. Hey, now pithier, listen, that's pithier. a Freudian slip. That's a Freudian slip if I ever heard it. I love it. Well, so so some some issues, Brandon. And again, I've I've heard you say this, and and you're right. You're you're not wrong when you say this that uh, illegal immigration is something rarely talked about in the state of Tennessee, and not a lot of people advocating against it. A lot of folks would pretend that it's not an issue that affects Tennessee. But you and I both know we've watched things go through the legislature, and and. Um, you know, for the the best example, the best recent example is the bill that a lot of folks that I think follow both of our organizations know about, and it's the the bill that would allow illegal aliens to get a professional business license. Mm. You know, here in the state of Tennessee. But you know, again, and I think you mentioned this earlier. You you broke the story on the center in Chattanooga that Biden was literally flying planes to, dropping off illegal immigrants in droves. There Under cover of darkness. Right. Literally. Oh, they're still doing it. They're just dispersed now. Mm. Yeah. I want to give you an opportunity just to talk about that a little bit in in terms of what you see on that issue, things you're concerned about, and and what you would exhort people to pay more attention to in terms of how that can drastically impact our future if we choose not to tackle the issue now. Well, uh, take a good gander at Western Europe. Take a look at all of these European countries who have, because usually because of large corporations, they want more customers and they want cheap labor. 
right? More customers, cheaper labor. I mean, that's what drives all this, primarily economic opportunism, which I can't slight people for. But as a nation, you have a duty and an obligation to protect your borders. If you if you don't have a border, you're not even a nation. And, uh, and even in the Bible, when they were trying to build the Tower of Babel, God's like, I'm going to make you into separate nations, and we're going to have borders, and we're going to have walls, and, and y'all are going to speak different tongues. So, I mean, the, 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 the idea of a nation and the mm-hmm. idea of borders is something that I think we see a lot in, in Scripture. So our schools right now in Tennessee are failing to teach kids to read, write, do arithmetic. Client satisfaction, customer satisfaction is remarkably low. We have very few educational alternatives. And in many of the places where this is the worst for Tennessee kids are in poor or urban or super rural areas. When I drive by the school that is right by my shop or my old shop, Alfrosel Boulevard in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's a, it's a it's an urban area, and what used to be primarily full of like black and white kids uh, that it that would attend that school, like it's almost exclusively immigrants from other countries now. And if you come over here with three kids, for example, Tennessee taxpayers are now going to pay thirty six thousand dollars a year for twelve years, and they're on the hook for it immediately. So number one is we we really don't we already don't have enough money according to the Democrats and, and many Republicans, although I disagree, to fund education properly. So we can't continually have this influx of, of kids from other countries that we have to educate for free. And when you put children into a classroom that speak English as a second language, and we can't even teach our own kids who speak our language to read and write, and when the class gets up to where it's like 60 70 percent, Speaking English as a second language, like it gets very difficult for educators in those environments to do much more than babysit and mark time. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by the academic mm-hmm. results from that school that I just mentioned, where I think it's like four or five percent of kids are reading at grade level in that school. Like it's just a big babysitting factory. And then you have issues related to, uh, and I'll wrap this up, wage um, depression. If you've got one gentleman that's willing to work for $10 an hour and you've got another gentleman that that if we weren't paying people under the table that that in many cases don't pay taxes could make $15 doing that same wage and then that individual can't find that job, well, that is an issue. Further, uh, our, our medical system, our welfare system, uh, our prison system here in Tennessee, all of them, just like education, are in similar uh, dire straits, and so we cannot continue to – act as if this isn't a problem and it's not there and that we're not doing anything about it. Although Republican leadership has has consistently done that as long as I've been covering the news, uh, if not taking strides and efforts to, to make it worse. Yeah. And I think this, this notion that it, w- what you talked about, Brandon, in, in the beginning part of this segment was what used to be the immigration problem was cheap labor. But now the people that are coming across the border and and this is just setting aside for a moment all the coyotes and the sex traffickers, right? But there has been for a number of years now people of fighting age coming from communist China, coming from Islamic countries who are here for no other purpose. Well, I would ask the question, why else would men, principally men, right, not females— of fighting age be coming across the border. I We talked about on this program a couple of months ago, there was already a battalion of Chinese Communist Party 
uh, members who had crossed the border in a couple of month period. So this isn't just an issue now of of uh, of economics or to anyone who would take that position. You know, corp- corporatism for years has taken the position that, well, we, you know, Americans won't work for the same uh, level of wage. But now we have clear and present dangers and threats to our national security, don't we? Well, I mean, there's a recent report that uh, in the last 12 months, six times the number of uh, apprehended terrorists or terrorist affiliates have come across the border. So like we've had as many come across the border in the last 12 months as we have had in the last six years. And so there is a safety component to it, and I am slightly concerned to a degree about quality of life issues as it relates to crime. I've never have been I had never have been overly worried about terrorism. That's just my personal thing. I just don't I, like we're gonna be it just doesn't have it's not like a lightning strike. Uh, no, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work against it, but I, our larger issues, I think, are primarily cultural. I think they're educational. I think they are criminal. Uh, and I do think that they are economic. Uh, we just don't have the uh, we don't have the resources to continually and constantly care for people that just magically arrive uh, that have not paid into the tax base, et cetera. And I, this is a uh, I will get called a million different names for being cold and callous and leaving out all the humanitarian arguments. But it, those are a dime a dozen and they're everywhere. Uh, the more the bigger issues that I think face us uh, are we have to turn off the magnets in Tennessee, uh, education, mm-hmm. employment, benefits. And those are the three ones uh, that if, if we could turn those off and we could do it in one session, we could do it in one session in one bill. Yeah. And we, we you would see the illegal immigration problem in Tennessee would disappear in a matter of months. I, th- I think you're right, though, in terms of the the root as to why we see Republican leaders and legislators in the state of Tennessee not push back against illegal immigration. And it's and it's the corporate interest. I mean, I've begun to use the term regularly, Chamber of Commerce Republican. Be, mm-hmm. that, that, is, that is the only way I can describe almost every Republican in elected leadership. And of course, you know, uh, God rest his soul, Rush Limbaugh used to affectionately re- refer to them as the Chamber of Commies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's when, when it comes to immigration, education, when it comes to the fact that we cannot seem to secure medical freedom here in the state of Tennessee, which is something that I'm personally very concerned about. It always falls by the wayside because of corporate special interests. And um, so I I think that central issue of how special interests have gotten so much control. And again, as you say, I think think it's clear because of those campaign contributions. And to some degree, it's a... um, I actually quoted you the other day. I, I said, "You know what? Brandon is a lot meaner than I am about it to conservatives. He's he'll he'll tell people open up your damn wallets and be a conservative and and give some money, you know, to conservative organizations and candidates. But it's true, we don't do that. And I and I think to some degree we put ourselves in that situation because what happens is, for example, in the House, you've got men and women that are running a two year term, which means they never stop campaigning." Ever. And that's that's at the congressional level and here in the state of Tennessee. And so when they're always in campaign mode and they're not getting supported by conservative voters in their own district, 
their only way to really do their job and depend on the fact that they're going to be able to run again and afford to do so is to lean on these corporate PAC contributions, which means that during the legislative session, they're going to be beholden to the folks that are funding their campaigns. It's a it's a vicious vicious cycle. Well, let's remember, Gary, that the reason these corporate interests are so dangerous now and did not used to be as dangerous in the past is because they are all global companies. They're globalists. So sovereignty does not matter to them. It's the dollar. And they don't care where that dollar comes from, whether that dollar comes from China, whether that dollar comes from Saudi Arabia, whether that dollar comes from Argentina, Brazil. That dollar is more important than you and you and I and our families and our freedom. It means nothing to them. So that's why it's the the heightened effect of that corporate corporatist money is so much more dangerous because they've all abandoned American sovereignty uh, for globalism. And I think, too, we've seen corporations cooperate in a way now, you know, in 2023 than we've ever seen before, like they did during the pandemic. Yeah, tr- we're facing daily true fascism you know the left always use throws out that word oh fascist trump and fascist this it's like no the definition of fascism is when the government partners with private business Mm -hmm. to accomplish things that the government could not do on its own we see it every day whether it's in media whether it's in uh we saw it since 2020 on a grand scale it's the same thing that happened in nazi germany Right. Hitler used BMW and used Mercedes to advance the war machine. That is fascism, not not throwing out a some remark against a politician they don't like. Yeah. And it, going back to Gary's point about conservative Christians, a, a, a void will be filled. You know, a nature abhors a vacuum. And we have a political finance vacuum in Tennessee because, quote unquote, conservatives uh, do not donate to local candidates. They do not donate to local causes. Uh, There is not a single, to my knowledge, well-funded, at least from a Tennessee perspective, there is not a single well-funded conservative organization or candidate, to my knowledge, in the state of Tennessee. There might be one or two congressional people that can maybe, maybe make that claim, and so when people back home don't give to these folks, uh, they get a little bit of money from them when they run initially because they have to raise it, you know, and necessity makes people do things that they normally wouldn't or maybe won't do again. But then the second year comes around, and then about 40% of their money is PAC money. And then the third year comes around and it's 60%. And then when the fourth term comes around, it's like 80 to 90% corporate money. And now they have no need whatsoever. To, to do anything back in their district financially. And I'm telling you, that financial tie uh, is what binds uh, Republicans. It really is. I mean, it, they, they are shackles and chains. I mean, it, they're very cheap shackles and chains. Uh, and I wouldn't stand for it as a person, uh, but most of these folks up in leadership do. Yeah, and I think a, a, an apt analogy is if you think about it in a business context, when these that path you just described, Brandon – it's like when someone gets into business, they're initially, maybe they have a contract and there's a contractor relationship. Then the next step is their partners. Well, eventually they get bought out and they're wholly owned. And so these politicians, by the time they get to the fourth, the fourth term, right, they're now wholly owned entities controlled completely by the corporate interests. Yeah, the, the lobbyists 
fund them every piece of information they need. They're also the people that coordinate the checks. They live underneath desks and sleep up in Cordell Hall building, and they never leave. You can show up at 3 o'clock in the morning, turn on the light somewhere, and a lobbyist will crawl out of a desk drawer mm. up there. And so they're they're constantly in the ears of our politicians. They're feeding them the information and the money. And that's why, you know, so few uh, conservative pieces of legislation ever make it through committee if it angers the Tennessee Business Roundtable or the Chamber of Commerce because they're funding the show. Another thing you've worked to to deal with legislatively here in Tennessee is social media censorship. I know that's an issue you care about. I do, too. I mean, I and again, I think we face the same challenges getting getting conservative messaging out on social media is really hard. And to to bypass social media it's very expensive um i mean your options are you know mail radio television advertising you know whatever all the things you would typically do during a campaign which are very expensive so the the low hanging fruit which is which is social media oftentimes is a difficult prospect to get conservative points across how are you working to overcome that challenge with a conservative news organization in the state of tennessee well, as a, as a perfect case study, we had more social media engagement and reach as a news organization about two years into running the Tennessee Conservative than the Knox News Sentinel, than the Chattanooga Times Free Press, than the Commercial Appeal, than the Tennessean. But somewhere along the way, and they, they typically don't pay attention to state stuff, but you know, their censors get wind of you. And if you are growing and if your message is conservative, they will shut you down. And so – about at about forty some odd thousand followers, we just got axed. Like we we haven't added any. Like they just continue to to trail off, and uh, and and it's it's just it's strictly censorship and often government coordinated censorship. Uh, Twitter has been pretty good to us, and so luckily Elon Musk seems to have a penchant for free speech. It's probably exclusively driven by profit, but. Who cares? And so we've we've done pretty well Wait, over again, there. Whether his heart or his shoes. Yes. Right? Just like the Grinch. <laughs> so it's we're doing that. Other than and the other thing that that we do have a piece of legislation that according to Dennis Powers is going to be introduced again. I don't think Bo Watson will carry it again, probably because of me getting on to him so much about his wife taking hundreds of thousands of dollars that ends up in his own personal bank account. As a lobbyist. But, as a lobbyist for the Titan Stadium, which is wildly unpopular, uh, even for Democrats. And that is one thing on corporate welfare, not to switch gears on you. We'll talk about that more than in a minute. Um, I would like to talk about that before we leave. The bill by Dennis Powers is basically going to just regulate social media companies like they were utilities. And I understand a lot of conservatives don't like that, and I have mixed feelings about it myself. But right now, like if you want to say something on your telephone, you can say it. And AT&T and nobody else can tell you you can't say it. Now, they're a private company. Should they be able to censor you like social media? Sure. But at some point in our nation's history, and they used to do that, they said this medium is not open for censorship or discrimination, just like you can't tell somebody who's conservative or black or brown or Muslim they can't stay in a hotel or eat at a restaurant, um, that we have to have these equal protections enforced by law. But then you get the government involved, and who knows? And as much as Republicans love censorship, uh, in our state, at the leadership level, who knows what they do with it eventually. So I can see both sides of it, um, but I think I probably still will support uh, Dennis's efforts if that puppy comes up in committee again. It would at least be nice to see 
what happens, I suppose, you know, and I, and you and I have had this conversation and have some differing views, but, but to that point though, the fact of the matter is it's not working now. So we need to come up with some sort of solution. And unfortunately the problem with the solution is that you are to some degree trusting government to come in and fix it, which someday may not go so well, (laughs) even though it may go well at first, but so that that's definitely my fear, but but nonetheless, the point is, it's not working right now. So um, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe we just we got to give it a shot and and try a fix and see what happens. You mentioned you wanted to get to um, this corporate welfare issue. I have toyed with the idea, and I've not done it yet, of calling up Justin Jones and calling up all the the most liberal members of the Democrat delegation and the most conservative members of the Republican Party to have some kind of corporate welfare summit because it's just wildly unpopular. People hate the Titan Stadium deal. I did a little poll, and which is also full of trolls, on Twitter, and I've done this before and even talked about it. And even uh, the Beacon Center did a, did a very good survey, and it's wildly unpopular. People hate the thought of giving millionaires and billionaires millions and billions of taxpayer dollars. And I think the one that probably was the best example, aside from the Ford Motor Company, you know, we, we're giving them uh, two billion dollars in corporate welfare, I, I, even though they're losing two billion last year yeah. uh, in their electric vehicle uh, division. You were saying, Gary? No, no, go no, ahead. No, that was me interrupting. Sorry, he said he okay. said he said a trillion, but I, he meant a billion. I, I yeah, meant a billion. Gave, yeah, we gave, gave okay. a, a and, billion and dollars. And then the uh, the the one that probably I think was the worst was like Whataburger. Whataburger. These people cook hamburgers. We're going to give you millions of dollars to build a office for your hamburger restaurant chain no, here that, in Tennessee. No, 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 that no, was, no, no. Uh, that's, in, that's in and out. Unfortunately, that, it's in and out. No, in and out. I'm sorry. In and out burger. I Which I wouldn't even equate. Now, let's just stop just for a second. Oh, here the we go. The fact that you equated Whataburger with in and out, it's like they're not even in the same universe. I, I oh, just, sorry. I, I, hang, it's all I'm, one of, it's hang all on these... a second. I disagree. I lived in Dallas for work for 10 years. Don't, don't, so you're make, biased. Me, don't make me defend Whataburger because I will. Because it's too hard, isn't it? Because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> their product sucks. Oh, my gosh. No. Come on. Well, anyway, what, so in and out What burger. is happening here? But it hurts my heart. I'm conflicted because I love In-N-Out and I love their mission, right? In-N-Out, if you look at what they've done, especially since 2020, they have been the most you talk about taking it to the man they refuse to comply with the mandates and now they've actually told employees and remember they're based in California they've told their employees that if you wear a mask you're violating company policy unless you have a doctor's excuse i mean they've been that forward about it so that's why i'm conflicted because now here we come to tennessee and they're accepting corporate welfare which is really disappointing yeah well it's um the thing I think about is if I'm a restaurateur that's been slinging hamburgers or whatever I've been slinging for 25 years, and I've got two or three restaurants, you, you mean to tell me that after working in this state for 30 years running a restaurant, that someone who's from out of state is going to put a headquarters across the street, and you're going to pay for it with my tax dollars? It is immoral, and it is unethical, and people that vote for it are immoral and unethical. And that's how I feel about it. You cannot pick these winners and losers and give people just big, huge bags of money. They don't do it for small businesses, which is the real economic engine. That's right. Never in 31 years have I ever gotten special treatment 
to be able to run my business. Uh, the, the only government. thing the government has ever done to me in Tennessee is shut me down. Mm. I mean, that's the only real government intervention that I've ever seen of any significance. And meanwhile, they prop up the rest of these jokers who, again, send and it's a good deal. I mean, you won't talk about a deal, guys. This is the deal of a century. You go find a bunch of people that have very few morals, also known as lobbyists, and you give them a hundred, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars, and you do that to ten of them. So now you spent five million dollars. And you send them up there like a swarm of locusts to the Cordell Hall building and let them whisper sweet nothings and distribute pack checks to all these uh, folks in the House and the Senate. And then all of a sudden you get a billion or two billion dollars. I mean, that is a hell of a deal. Who wouldn't want to trade about five to ten million for a billion? That is a good deal if you can get it. I think that summit would be an incredibly interesting thing to be a part of and to see happen. And you know, on that note, I will tell you, we came against a an effort this year in the Senate, which, which by the way, it's a resolution, and even though it failed this first year, you know, coming up in January 2024 is the second half of the 113th General Assembly. So this resolution, unfortunately, can be brought up again, and I suspect it will, and that's SJR 34. It was a constitutional amendment. That would allow the state of Tennessee to invest its tax dollars in such our tax dollars in such a way that the state becomes an owner, a shareholder Mm. in whole or in part of of a private corporation. I mean, absolutely insane. Sounds just like communism. And, you know, in the last General Assembly, in the 112th, we weren't aware of it. We didn't advocate uh, against it or anything like that. It passed both chambers almost unanimously, like like plus or minus one or two votes, like unanimous. Well, this year we took it to task and we were able to, to kill it in the Senate. Again, it's a resolution, so it, it may come back up. But the way we – the interesting part – thing about that is the way we were able to get that done with the votes – is through the ultra conservatives that we have relationships with and the Democrats. All yeah. all six Democrats Absolutely. in the Senate voted against an amendment that would allow the state of Tennessee to own corporations. But the Chamber of Commerce Republicans, lockstep, baby. Mm. They they want it. The 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 benefit that we had this second go-round is in the state of Tennessee when a constitutional amendment comes up for its final test. It doesn't win by majority. It wins by supermajority. It has to. It has to get twenty votes in the Senate, and we held them to seventeen, and that's how we were able to to keep it from passing. So, I hope uh, I'm I'm confident. I don't say I hope. I'm confident we'll be able to succeed in that effort this year. Should it come up again? But again, the point is, we weren't able to get that done with our fellow Republicans. We had to have Democrats involved in that process, and that is. That is crazy to me to think about, but that well, just that goes to show you where the party actually actually is when it comes to corporate interests. I'm all about trying to do something about this because it is it, it's like one of our biggest state expenditures uh, a year is just the corporate welfare expenditure line item. And I, I don't know this for a fact, and we could do some investigative reporting, but I'd be willing to bet ten thousand dollars that Bill Lee has given more corporate welfare away uh, on average per year than any other governor in Tennessee's history. That'd be my guess. Oh, I, uh, but, but did he I think it's probably, it by, far, probably by far. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. 
but he can't do it without without his willing accomplices and Republican leadership. I mean, I, you want to talk? I'm going to switch gears here for a second about bootlickers and brown nosers. How in the world do you like during the pandemic and even now? Like as he calls this special session, which is just completely unpopular with Republican primary folk, voters for folks like Jeremy Faison and for people like Jason Zachary. To defend Bill Lee, given what he did during the pandemic, as if people don't have anything to fear, to trust a man who does nothing but break his word continually. Like, how do you get behind somebody like that? Uh, And he is not conservative. I understand that people have political ambitions, but is there not some sort of tripwire where you're like, I believe I am speaking lies for somebody who lies, and I'm going to have to stop at some point. But some of these folks seem to have an, an inexhaustible reserve of dishonesty. And uh, it has been amazing to watch it unfold just in these last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Nailed it, and I, I could not agree more. Brandon, it's been uh, a delight having you on our show. You are such a friend, but even even more than that, I think all Tennessee knows that um, you're a guy willing to just tell the truth and take the heat for it. And, uh, man, we just we need that desperately right now. And, um, you know, I've I've had my own battles uh, especially recently <laughs> with <laughs> with with the media by by folks who are just no matter what they are in they are dead set on protecting these folks that are in office because you know it it gains them influence it may gain them some temporary prestige and so i'm i'm very thankful that we do have a conservative news organization that is more concerned uh, about the truth than anything else and um we need it so um Give us a make. Make sure people know know where to find you. Oh, here's the plug, baby. Do okay. it. <laughs> Stick, go to Tennessee stickers, tumblers, the whole thing. You know, go ahead. Yeah, TennesseeConservativeNews.com. It's a long domain, but we unlike everybody else in media, we don't lie about our bias. Uh, Phil Williams, TennesseeConservativeNews.com, uh, <laughs> and you can uh, check us out anywhere you get podcasts or social media. Uh, just type in Tennessee Conservative News and. If you like the sound of my dulcet nasal tones, and if you want to hear me read you the news with my commentary once a week, it is riveting. It is riveting. You will never be the same. Then I subscribe to my podcast, and I I just read the news. I am a talking head now, apparently. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate Appreciate you, brother. Until next time. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. (laughs) 